chapter 8. Uh, we're going to be there. Let's pray first. Father God, we love you. We praise you. We glorify you in the mighty name of Jesus. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and that it's active and that it's sharper than any double-edged sword. God, we pray today that you'd use this word to change us, challenge us, and convict us. Fathers, we've been brought here by your grace and mercy, Lord. We pray that we would remain in it. God, we pray that you'd use this word mightily, Father, that we wouldn't leave here the same way that we came. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. amen. Matthew chapter 8, we're going to be in verses 28 through 34. When he had come to the other side, to the country of the Gergesenes, or something like that, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs exceedingly fierce so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out, saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? A good way off from them, there was a herd of swine feeding. So the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, permit us to go away into the herd of swine. He said to them, Go. So when they had come out, they went into the herd of swine. And suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down to the steep place into the sea and perished in the water. And those who kept them fled, and they went away into the city and told everything, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to depart from their region. They begged him to depart. So what's, what's happening in this story? Well, um, Jesus comes into the city, and there's some guys that are demon-possessed, and they come out to greet Jesus. And so Jesus gets into it with these demon-possessed guys, and the demons speak out to Jesus and say, uh, you know, what are you doing here before the appointed time? And then uh, Jesus goes from there, and he says, well, you know what? I'm just going to take these demons, and I'm going to cast them into the swine. And so then he casts them into the swine and the swine goes and runs into the water and they all kill themselves. The guys that were in charge of the swine are now upset. So they go around, they talk to everybody else and say, we shouldn't have Jesus in our town. So everybody comes to the edge of the city and beg Jesus and say, Jesus, leave our town, leave our town, get out of here. We don't want you here. And it's no different from today. Whole cities of people reject Jesus every single day. Recently, uh, the, my alma mater, um, and I'll, I'll call him out by name because uh, it's in the news. Seattle Pacific University that I attended, their board of trustees decided to stand with what the Bible teaches and the whole entire faculty voted 90% against the board of trustees and said, we want to go against what the Bible teaches. In essence saying, Do you know what, Jesus, we don't want you in our Christian university no longer. And it's happening more often. It's happening in schools. It's happening on TV and movies and workplaces. They don't want Christianity. They don't want biblical orthodoxy. They don't want what Jesus does and what Jesus teaches. And so they stand at the edge of the city and they say, Jesus, we're begging you to depart from our city. We no longer want you here. And we read the story and we hear about stories and we say, well, that's just them. But the reality is, is that we do it in our own lives. When we beg Jesus to depart from the city of you. And you say, Jesus, I don't want you here. I don't need you here. I don't want you doing what you do here. And I'm begging you, would you please leave me alone? And so why did they beg him to depart? They begged him to depart because demons had become the norm. When they had come to the other side of the country, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out, saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Mark chapter 5 talks about the same interaction. said these demons would scream and they would scrape on their faces and come out and torment the people. 
And in this town, it says that they would, that no one could pass around that way. And it was clear that people had just gotten used to the demons and avoided them. They'd gotten used to it. They said, you know what? We know that there's demons on this edge of the city. It's exceedingly fierce so that no one could pass that way. We're just going to avoid that part of the city. It's kind of like when you have a smell in your house and you don't know you got a smell in your house. Nobody comes to your house and doesn't tell you you got a smell in your house because you just get used to living in your own filth. Y'all ever been to a stinky house? If you've never been to a stinky house, it might be yours. When you come in, you're just like, man, do they not know that this house smells like rotting flesh? Like curdled milk and cat urine? I'm just saying, man. But people get used to being in their filth. People get used to a smell that they no longer... Hey, listen, ask, I invite somebody over and say, does my house smell? And they're like, yes. And find out what it is and clean it out. To me, that says, you know, we know that there's a place in the city that is overcome with demons. But we're not going to go there and do some spiritual warfare and fix it. We're just going to go around it. We're not going to deal with it. We're just, we're just going to avoid it because we've just gotten used to the fact that there's a couple guys out there that come out of the tombs, scrape on their faces and scream, and we don't allow anybody to go there. We've just gotten used to the demon possession. Ephesians chapter 4 says, nor give place to the devil. And these people had given place to the devil. For whatever reason, they thought it better just to avoid the problem. Instead of facing the problem. Oh, it's just brother so-and-so. You know, that's just how he is. He scrapes and he screams and we just, we just let him have that part of the city. We just don't go over there anymore. It's just easier to not have to deal with it. You know, when I was a, a, a young child, my mom used to take us to visit this uh, older lady and she was a sweetheart. And I remember that she would save her pennies and, and put them in her medicine bottles and give them to me and my brother. She was extremely poor, but she still did that for me and my brother because that was her heart. But she also lived in a place that was overran with cockroaches. And, and I remember I was like four, five, six years old and we'd go over and visit her and these cockroaches would crawl around. And you don't say anything to somebody when you're in that kind of house. You just go. But I, I remember so distinctly at a young age, she would say like, oh, there goes, there goes uh, Frankie and there goes Jimmy and there goes Sally. And she, would, she named her cockroaches. She'd just gotten used to living with cockroaches that she just began to name them and it was okay. And even as a young child, I thought to myself, wouldn't it be better to just get rid of the cockroaches instead of naming them and getting used to them being in your house? So in part, these people had come to Jesus at the edge of the city and begged them to leave. And they were upset because Jesus had upset their normal lives. This is what they were used to. They, they had started naming the cockroaches. They had started naming the demons. Because I, I'm legion. I, I am of many, he had said in Mark chapter 5. They had just gotten used to it. And they didn't want to deal with it anymore. It's like when an addict gets clean and goes back to the house. Sometimes people in the house that have become codependent will say, You want know man, just go back and be an addict because we can't deal with the clean you. They just get used to addiction. They just get used to destruction instead of facing it head on and saying, you know what, man, I I, want to deal with what we need to deal with. And even if it upsets our norm, we're still going to deal with it because we know it's the right thing to do. But they didn't. They beg him. They say, just leave, Jesus. We don't want you to deal with this demon possession because we've just been been used to it. It's just how we live and it's what we do. We didn't ask you to fix our issues. You came in and now you've disrupted our normal demon-possessed life. So get out of our city. 
We like our pet demons. We like them because they create a distraction so we don't have to deal with our own issues. It must be those demons at the edge of the city. There's no way it can be me that's got the problem. And now you've taken away that distraction. You've taken away this excuse. You've taken away this thing that we used to use as a scapegoat. And so get out of our city, Jesus. Are you begging Jesus to leave you because you like your demons? Have you let them take up residence in your life and now they're so much a part of the family that you're naming them like cockroaches? Oh, this is just how I was raised. This is how I was born. And because of what I've gone through, this is just who I am. And so everybody else around you avoids you and goes around the city of you because they're tired of your demon possession. You refuse to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, deliver me and set me free. Gotten used to your demons. See, the, the, the problem with demonic depression is that it mu- the demons must be dealt with. Demon possession is real. It's real. Oppression and depression, uh, oppression and possession is real. Job 2 2, the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? Satan answered and said, The Lord said, From uh, going to and fro on the earth, from walking back and forth on it. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 43 through 45. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. And then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And if the last state of that man is worse than the first, so shall it also be with this wicked generation. Demons are real. And if, you, and if you've never seen it, man, I, it's real. When you see that spirit come out of a person, you see someone that's oppressed and then it comes off of that person and they change and they're different. It's real. But if you don't deal with it, it just comes back. And for, for whatever reason, people think that they can play with witchcraft and it won't bother them, that everything's going to be okay. Well, I'm just going to dabble in the demonic. I'm just going to dabble in witchcraft. I'm just going to let some little uh, miscreant demon hang out in my house and it's not going to bother me. No, friend, you cannot camp in Sodom and expect that you will not come out smelling like smoke. Yeah. Can't do it. You hang out with demons, you're going to start looking like them, sounding like them, smelling like them. 1 Peter 5.8 says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Satan does not take a day off. He doesn't. And so he's got one assignment, and it's to destroy you. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy your finances. He wants to destroy your faith. He wants to destroy everything about you. He's all day, every day, man, trying to destroy you. It's, It's like this. How many of you, when you were growing up as a kid, there was two types of houses you would go spend the night at. One where your mom would let you go back, and one where your mom would not let you go back. Right? Because sometimes you came back from somebody else's house, and you took on the spirit of that kid that was in that house, and you all of a sudden thought you were big business, and you were going to tell mom how it was going to be. And mom was like... No, I don't know who you think you are, but you are not going to become like little, little miss so-and-so. Anybody else have that happen? The mom said, you're never going back to spend the night with them again, ever. Why? Because spirits get on other people, man. 
It just does. If, if, if you have a, a kid that goes and spends the night in, in a house full of demons, like you're going to end up, they're going to catch something. It just it is what it is. You got to cast that thing out. You got, you got to get that spirit and get it out of your kid. You got to stop thinking that it's okay. What happens is, is that we, we start to feel a certain kind of way. And we, we, if you're walking in the spirit and you're filled with the spirit, little things will start to happen around you. And you, you either have a, an opportunity to react to it or just kind of acquiesce to the temperature of the, in the room. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but sometimes you walk into place and you're like, dude, this is not the place. And you just start praying in the spirit underneath your tongue. And then you're like, man, I'm laying hands on this place. And I'm casting demons out of this place. A little extra long handshake where you look them in the eyes like, in Jesus' name. You know what I mean? Hey, get your demons off me, man. Put on the whole armor of God. Get prayed up. That's what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The problem with some of y'all is you ain't putting out the whole armor of God. You are losing your spiritual pants because you do not have on the belt of truth. You're losing it. You're not putting on the whole armor of God and saying, you know what, I'm in a battle. Every time you wake up, your feet hit the floor, it's on. It's on like Donkey Kong, as the kids say, right? They say that anymore, I don't know if they say that, but it rhymes. It is, man. If you've ever gotten halfway through your day and realized the demons were coming after you, like, dang, I was not prayed up today. I wasn't ready for this. I wasn't ready for this at all. A demon possession is real. Now, let me say this. Everything isn't a demon. Sometimes the demon is your bad choices. Okay? You didn't get attacked by the demon of traffic. You didn't get attacked by the demon of bad eating choices. You didn't get attacked by the demon of you refuse to treat your finances the way that God tells you to treat your finances. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a real spiritual oppression. Where the demons will come in and they will attack you. There's principalities involved in this world and you have to be aware of them. And if you're not, you can find yourself in a bad place. I've shared this story with you guys before when Crystal and I bought our first house and we came into the house and we were, we were excited and all these other things. And then we just, we just started fighting at each other. I'm like, what is this, man? It was like 11 o'clock at night and I was like, you know what, man? We have got to pray over this house. We got a prayer of this house. I don't know who used to live here. I don't know what demons are still here. See, I believe what the word of God says. I believe that I can cast demons out in the name of Jesus because he told me so. I, I believe I can bind them and, 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 and cast them down. I believe that the power in the name of Jesus that I can make it do things. Now, again, man, I'm a little bit more Pentecostal charismatic. So when I pray, sometimes I get a little bit loud because that's my personality. I also get excited when I talk about things that aren't a God because I'm just loud. That's who I am. And some people think, well, it only comes out if you scream. No, it doesn't. You can be quiet and just say, yeah. you know, Lord Jesus, yeah. I pray in the power of the name of Jesus. You had said this thing. The power is in the name of Jesus. It's not in your, it's not a volume level. It's not the higher the volume, the more the demons flee. Some of us are just a little bit more demonstrative. You must, as James 4, 7 says, submit to God and resist the devil and he will flee. Are you even fighting? Are you resisting? Submit to God, put up a fight, pray over yourself, your family, your house, where you go. The time is now where you have to watch what you watch and who you associate with and what you take part in. There's literally a plan from the evil one to destroy your life. And he doesn't want you to follow Jesus. 
Second Corinthians 2.11, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. But some of us are ignorant. Some of us, re- he, he only has a few tools, man. And then all of a sudden he uses them like, what is this? He's not a smart guy. The Bible even says that one day we're going to see him and we're looking to be like, this is the one that made the nations tremble? This? This is the one. Dude, you are, you are so much more powerful than any demon and any devil in Jesus name. Satan himself cannot stand up to a child of God. You don't have to walk in fear. You walk in faith. You walk in power. You don't allow him to take control over you. But the truth is, the Bible says that Satan binds people and tempts people and tries to influence people, that he disguises himself as an angel of light. But people act all ignorant, like, well, it couldn't happen to me. I'm stronger than that, Pastor. I know I don't, you know, take my faith that seriously, but I've got this. But I'm going to tell you guys a story. I'm going to be honest about it because that's all I do is be honest. And if it offends you, good. Because it's just truth, man. It's just truth. And you guys are all amen until it's about you. A few years ago, we had uh, this couple that attended our church. And please don't disrespect God by trying to think it through. Just let it be what it is. But I'm going to be honest about it because it's true. Couples attending church, faithful. Every Sunday, every Wednesday, serving, tithing, giving, loving, great people. God had done a wonderful work in their marriage. It was really good. And then one of the uh, members of the uh, uh, the couple started going to martial arts on a Wednesday night. And someone says, well, you know, Kung Fu, what could go wrong, right? Well, I'll tell you what did go wrong is that they went from being at church every Wednesday night to not being at church on Wednesday night. And then they stopped serving, and then they stopped giving, and then they became infrequent Sunday attenders, and then they got a divorce, and they both moved away. People say, well, are you saying Kung Fu is demonic? I'm saying it can be. Yeah, man. Anything can be demonic. Anything can. You know, the person that started doing the the martial arts ran away with the person that was the instructor of the martial arts. Found a better life. But no one sets out and says like, well, I'm going to join Kung Fu and ruin my life. No one sets out to do that, but, but, but they went in with their blinders on instead of their eyes open and saying, you know what, God, am I putting something in a place that belongs to only you? Am I, is there a demon in here that I don't understand that could destroy everything that I've built up? And, and, and is, it, is it more important that I honor you than it is that I go and do this thing? Or is it, and, 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 and insert anything into that spot because anything can become a demon. Anything can become something that will destroy your life. But you can't just walk into like, ah, seems innocuous. Nothing is, man. Everything has spiritual value uh, uh, associated with it, with what you do with your time and your energy. And so you've got to be aware of it. See, they, they begged him because their hearts had been revealed. Suddenly, oh, the, the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea. Now, commentators disagree on what, what why the pigs and why the thing. That uh, some, some and it's inconclusive, but I'll share with you a couple of them. They, some people say Jesus threw the swine, used the swine and killed them because these were Jewish swine keepers that never should have kept swine. Some people say they were Gentiles, that Jesus wanted to tell them they were swine. Some people say they were people that were keeping pigs that were being sacrificed to false idols. Uh, all these different things that different commentators say that nobody has a, an agreed uh, thing of what they were uh, done for. But here, here's what we do know, is that from Mark chapter 5, there were 2,000 pigs. 
And 2,000 pigs today at market price hovers somewhere around $100. And so if you have 2,000 pigs with a head price of about $100, that means that there was $200,000 worth of pigs that ran into the sea and that were destroyed. That, that's the story. And so if you're the, the pig keeper, the swine keeper, and you see your $200,000 herd being thrown into the sea, the story says these guys weren't pleased with it at all. Jesus used their pigs to get rid of these demons. See, this town had avoided the place where the demons were. And at the end of the the, the interaction with Jesus, they saw more value in keeping their pigs and, and, and wanted to keep them more than they wanted to see these two guys delivered and set free. See, what should have happened is they should have valued the people more than they valued money. They should have valued freedom and deliverance more than they valued their livelihood. One one commentator said, those who measure rightly the worth of a human spirit restored to itself and to its fellow men and to God will not think that the destruction of a brute life was too dear a price to pay for its restoration. Let's, Let's let this scripture say what it says and mean what it says. These people loved their pigs and it cost them money that these demons went into their pigs. They were upset with Jesus because they lost their livelihood and then they tell Jesus, leave my city because of the monetary cost that you just cost me these guys didn't care about demon possession they they cared about their own gain there's nothing in this story that says and then the men clapped and cheered and said messiah has come my friends have been set free their lives have been changed this city's never going to be the same they didn't say that they said get out of our city jesus you cost us money They were unwilling to release their money for kingdom work. They cared about their own gain. They cared about themselves. Proverbs 119 says, So are the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain. It takes away the life of its owners. These guys should have rejoiced that these demon-possessed people were set free. They should have rejoiced that lives were changed and that Jesus was glorified, that good was happening. What they should have said was, whatever the cost. They should have said, you know what, man, they're just pigs. 200,000, God can take care of it. I believe God can bless me even more and abundantly because we sacrifice these for these two men to be delivered. For these two men to be set free. Nope. Jesus, leave our town. Take your healing powers with you. We would have, we would have preferred to keep our money because we value it more than we value these people in your power. A little side note you notice in this, Jesus never apologized for killing the pigs. He never apologized. He said, you know what? Sorry, gents. This is just what it takes to do kingdom work. Go to the office. They'll sign your receipt. No. No. The love of money will keep you out of heaven. Let's read Proverbs 28. Let's look and see what it says. Proverbs 28, starting in verse 20. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but he who hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. To show partiality is not good because for a piece of bread, a man will transgress. A man with an evil eye hastens after riches and does not consider that poverty will come upon him. What does it mean to you? Where are you at with your love of things of the world, man? Where are you at today? Where are you at? And I, and I know we've been talking about this a lot over the last years, uh, last year. Why? Because it's been top of mind for me. Why? Because what, what's been revealed in my heart over the last 18 months is how much I love the things of this world. And I didn't realize it. 
And I figure, you know what? If I've got dirty lucre in my heart, you guys probably do as well. It's like, dang, I didn't realize I loved that stuff so much. I didn't realize that it brought me so much joy. I didn't realize that just going out for a $6 cup of coffee was something that I would miss. Going to my kids' sporting events or going to some event or going and watching a godless movie with $50 popcorn. You know what I mean? And so then my heart changed and I was like, well, gosh, man, I just kind of miss some of this stuff. My heart's revealed through the adversity to say, you know what, Matt, you love the world more than you love the things of God. See, the Bible's very clear in 1 John 2.15. Let's read this one together as well. Do not love the world or the things in this world. Don't change it yet. (laughs) How much clearer this could be. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Next scripture, please. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And that the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God will abide forever. See, what I've noticed over the last year is how much my heart uh, hasn't stuck with where it started. You guys remember way back in like March and April of 2020 when they said that funny, hey, we're just flattening the curve. You guys remember that? Yeah, it's only for a short period of time. And you guys remember all those times, right? And at the beginning, I remember being really holy about it. I was like, God, let this go on as long as you need to break your people. God, let it be for your glory, Lord. Just let it tarry until you've done your work. Almost done. I'm broken. Can we move forward? Anybody else? See, your your heart gets revealed, and you're just like, dang it. I thought I was farther along than this, man. See, the problem is loving the things of this world is a slippery slope. When you love the things of this world, you start making decisions that don't honor God. You find yourself in disrepair. First Timothy 6, 9 and 10. Let's read what it says. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through many sorrows. Do you see that? Desire to be rich, temptation, snare, foolish, harmful, destruction, strayed from the faith. We should, you should, I should be very, very careful to allow anything that would allow me to be even remotely pulled away from things of the faith. Anything. Anything that demonstrably demands our allegiance, especially when it comes to the things of this world. Because what happens, these pigs died and it revealed the hearts of these people where they said, you know what? We actually love the things of this world more than we loved you, Jesus. And so we pray, God, make sure that my allegiances are only for you and you alone. Am I overworking? Am I overspending? Am I having a miserly heart? Am I having a fearful heart? Am I trusting in my riches instead of trusting in you? Am I trusting in my government instead of trusting in you? And we've seen it, valuing our stuff and our money and our time more than God. Paul talked about it in 2 Timothy. He said, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved the present world and has departed. And has departed. And that's really what happens. You've seen it in your own life. People that you know that used to walk with God. And then there's like, eh, I love the world. Yeah. Eh, 
I'm just going to go do something else. Can happen to any one of us. Don't, don't think that you are somehow uh, not able to do this unless you protect your life. Matthew 13, 22. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. And friend, that's what happens when you love your pigs more than people. Let me, let me make this very clear. People will, uh, people will say when I preach about something, pigs more than people. And they're like, oh yeah, your job is your pig. Your job is your pig. Whatever widget factory you work at is your pig. And, and what happens is you protect this thing and you want to have this thing. And then God says, you want, I need this thing to be destroyed to do something inside of you or inside of the city. Or I need people to hear the gospel because of your tithe. And you get really upset and say, Jesus, why do you have to do that? You're destroying my livelihood. The tithe becomes a barrier to you even seeing God move in your life. Because you, you think about, oh man, this is a vacation, or this is a better car, or this is something that I could have bought instead of seeing you what Jesus, however much it takes for someone to be set free, I'll give it all. I'll give it all. You can come down and you can set fire to my business and let the demons come in there. And if it, if it means that two people get delivered, Jesus, I'm willing to make that sacrifice because I value people more than I value my pigs. Getting mad at God for what you don't have and what you can't do. Friend, God cannot bless a wicked heart with a wicked hand. Quit demanding Jesus to leave. Quit demanding him to leave because you're upset about the money that you have to give to God. Here's what I'll tell you about myself. Is that if the only thing that tithing does is break me of my love of money, it's done its job. If Jesus said, if Jesus said in his word, and every day and every month go out and place that on your front porch, light it on fire and watch it burn. And I was, and it just broke me of my love of money. It's done its job. But praise God, it does so much more than that. The tithe changes people's lives. How many people have been set free? How many people got saved? How many marriages were saved? And how many kids were saved? How many people were delivered and set free? Because people tithed and they gave to the Lord and said, you know what? People are more important than pigs. It's worth every penny. I I would, I would tithe my whole entire life to see one person go into the kingdom. One. People get dirty lucre in their heart and they say, well, you know, God could probably do something more with the money in my hand that I could buy more fun stuff for myself that I can take to goodwill when I'm tired of it. (laughs) 200,000 for two guys, man, it's worth it. It was worth it to them, wasn't it? Did they come out of their demon possession? Like, you know what, guys, I wish you wouldn't have done this. I like being demon possessed. No way. Love God. Don't love stuff or money. Let pigs die so that others may live. You know, we've got firefighters inside of this uh, church. We got Pastor Jay and his brother Dan and we got Alex. They're firefighters, man. And 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 if you know uh, uh, firefighters, they have different schedules than all of us. And if you go to the fire station ever, a lot of times you'll catch these guys like, you know, sitting in an easy chair doing whatever. And people always say, well, it must be nice. 
Yeah, probably is nice if you don't understand how the job works. You know what's also really nice? It's really nice when someone in your family is dying and needs medical care and well-trained individuals hop on a big red vehicle and come to your rescue. I will pay every tax and levy and approve for every single one of them so that those guys will come and save my family members in a medical emergency. When danger is happening, they run towards it. They don't run away from it. I, I, I'm, I'm thankful. I don't, I don't scoff at having to pay those taxes. All. Why? Because they earn their money by what they do. And so the sacrifice of money is insignificant to me based on what they're able to do. Get that mindset. There's a sermon in there somewhere. Here's the third part of this sermon. And this is probably the best part. I know because I, I wrote it through the power of the Holy Ghost. The third reason why they begged them to leave is because they believed the narrative. They believed the narrative. Have you, have you guys, has anybody heard that term lately? Believe the narrative? Verse 33, Then those who kept them fled, and they went away into the city and told everything, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, the whole city went out to meet Jesus. Do you notice the trajectory of the story? The guys that lost the pigs went and told everybody else in the city what had happened. Everybody else in the city who hadn't seen what had happened with the pigs now was convinced that Jesus was bad because these guys who were inflamed and enraged with Jesus went and convinced other people to be inflamed and enraged with Jesus. And so then the whole city comes out and says, we don't like you, Jesus, please leave. They believed the narrative. Let me explain this to you. In psychology, they call this the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon, otherwise known as the frequency illusion or recency bias. I'll explain it. This is a situation where something you recently learned about suddenly seems to appear everywhere. So, like, I'll give you an example. This this morning, uh, (laughs) this morning, Miss Alita was talking to me about apples. And so in first service, I quickly came up with an example of apples because she had talked to me about apples. And so I was like, I need an example. And the last thing I talked about was something was apples. So I'm like, apples. So if I told you today and I said, hey, there's apple trees growing around the city, all of a sudden you'd be driving like apples, apples, but you weren't looking for apples. Today, some of you will go to the grocery store. You will see the apples. Think of this sermon. It's like, see, apples are everywhere. It's why you people, when I talk about where I'm going to eat after church, you go there as well because it gets in your mind. You're like, man, that Waffle House does sound good. (laughs) It's a situation where something you recently learned about suddenly seems to appear everywhere. And there's two reasons for this phenomenon. First, selective attention, which means your brain is subconsciously seeking out more information on the subject. So if I'm teaching you about a subject, your brain is like, ooh, cognitive dissonance. I need more information. And so then you start looking for it everywhere for the second part because you want confirmation bias, which means every time you see something related to the subject, your brain tells you it's proof that the subject had popularity overnight. Friend, I am teaching you this morning. If you are not picking up what I'm dropping, you better re-listen to this and understand because you are being manipulated by everybody to believe things not to be the way that they are. You just are, man. I stole this from an article and it said this. What does this have to do with marketing? A lot. Once your customers believe something to be true about your product, 
They'll look for evidence to support it and ignore evidence to the contrary. So if the news is selling you fear, you're going to look for stuff, looking for fear, and you're going to ignore evidence to the contrary because they have sold you as their customer what they want you to buy. What satisfies? Snickers. <laughs> Who's this bud for? You. you. How come you guys all knew the beer reference and not the candy reference? <laughs> you rot people! I had a candy bar reference and I had crickets and a beer reference for you! <laughs> Jeez. We're staying longer. I was almost done. Got some stuff we need to take care of this morning. (laughs) What does it mean? Don't lose it, folks. Stay with me. What does it mean in today's language? Once the news makes something news, everyone sees it everywhere and looks for it everywhere. You think it's everywhere. You believe what they tell you change the way that you view the world. They tell you there's racism everywhere, you're going to think there's racism everywhere. Think there's gun shootings everywhere, you're going to think there's gun shootings everywhere. Think everybody's dying of coronavirus everywhere, you're going to think people are dying of coronavirus everywhere. It just, like, it's just, it's trying to manipulate you, man. So you have to be smart enough to not believe the narrative. Do you you notice that you never noticed how many cars were on the road like yours until you bought one? Everybody has this car. You never saw it until you bought it. Every house is for sale when you're selling your house. It seems like everybody's selling their house. Stoplights only seem long when you're waiting for them. You know, when you don't have anywhere to be, the light's like, ah, it's a quick light. You're running behind, like, why is this thing taking so long? Bring back to the scripture. How does this coincide with the scripture? The people of the city didn't see anything with Jesus and the pigs. They just believed what somebody told them. And so the, the, the problem when people start begging Jesus to leave is because they're, they're not getting factual facts on their own facts. They're believing what other people are telling them instead of digging on their own. Someone says, oh, you know, Jesus isn't real and he didn't raise from the grave. Instead of, you know what, man, I've got to know if this Jesus is real. I've got to know if he rose from the grave. I'm getting into God's word. I'm getting into history. I'm going to see everything that I can know about this Jesus because I'm not going to believe what the crowd says about Jesus because it could cost me everything. Yeah. They believed whatever narrative these pigless people told and jumped on the bandwagon. They believed the narrative. Jesus bad, pigs good. Because someone else told them that and they joined the crowd to reject Jesus and begged him to leave. Why? Because the carnal mind is an enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor can it be. Carnal minded people can't see the truth because they lean on, because they lean on other people to interpret it for them. You, you cannot live on just preaching. You gotta get in the Bible yourself. You gotta, you gotta seek out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You've gotta educate yourself in the Word of God. And I will tell you, it's the reason why I keep saying over and over to read your Bible. Cause I don't want you to just believe what I say. So search it out. You should be like, you know, man, I read my Bible. That guy's so off base. He's wrong. What if they had reached out to the one and had been set free and asked them what happened? Hey man, these guys said that their pigs were moving. What do you, what do you say? 
What happened then? I don't know. I used to be blind, and now I see. I used to be lost, but now I'm found. I'm set free. Jesus is the Savior of the universe. Hey, he's killed some pigs. We can make more pigs. But instead, people are like, ooh, let's hate someone. Let's get together in a group and cast Jesus out. There's a way that seems right to man, but in the end is the way of death, says Proverbs 14, 12. These guys had taken on the identity of the group instead of searching it out for themselves. What does it mean to you? Are you sitting here agreeing with what the people around you are saying without searching it out yourself? And, and, and I bang on the news a lot because I tell you, man, I've been really frustrated with the news lately. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm literally getting to the point where I'm, I might start preaching about news watching in the same way I'm preaching against pornography. Yeah. It's just as evil. Yeah. It, it turns you against people. It gets you to believe things that aren't true. It, it gets you to be filled with fear. Why, why do you do it, man? Yeah. It's pointless. They're, you are their customer and their product is fear and they sell it to you. Yeah. Be above it, man. Be above it. Now listen up, young people. If you're here this morning and you're going to school, listen to your pastor. Are you guys listen to me? If you, I know some of you guys are homeschooled, but some of you guys are homeschooled with state curriculum. No way. You've, you, you've got to be, some of you, listen, you've got to question what you are being taught. Does it line up with the word of God? Is this, is this what God's word teaches? And then listen, I don't have any, I don't think anything against teachers because teachers are great people and they submit, but the problem is you got the school boards and the school boards are deciding the curriculum and then they want to fight against the curriculum and they can't because they need a job and all these other things. It's a big monster that needs to be destroyed. My point is being, if you're a young person, pay attention to what they're teaching you. And if it goes against the word of God, don't agree with it. Say, you know what, man, this goes against God's holy word and I'm not going to believe it at all. I'm going to read my Bible. Remember, man, John fifteen nineteen. If you are of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. If you notice the ethos of my preaching over the last few years, I've been doing everything in my power to prepare you guys for people to not like you. Because it's, it's not coming, it's here. It's here. Like, this isn't a time where like, you know, sometime in the future, like we're in the future. They're attacking churches and they're attacking Christians and they're doxing people and they're doing everything they can to keep us from preaching the truth. And if you're not prepared to be able to stand up, your heart is going to be revealed. You're going to believe the narrative and then you're going to be standing on the edge of the sea going, yeah, I don't think I believe this Jesus guy anymore. Instead of standing on the truth of God's word and preparing yourself for what God said is going to come into your life. Jesus said in Luke 6, Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers who are false prophets. Friend, following the crowd like these folks is not good. Agreeing with the narrative because it's what everyone else is doing isn't the way to live. Educate yourself. Go to source documents and eyewitness accounts. And if you can't, then just don't make a judgment on it, man. Don't look at some 15 second video that somebody's sharing on social media and then change the trajectory of your life. It's like Mark Twain used to always say, he said, the lie is already on its second laugh before the truth has even put its shoes on. Just give it a few weeks, man. Wait until the truth comes out because you will be held accountable for your ignorance. These guys didn't see the truth. Jesus left them and he didn't continue his ministry there. And I don't know what happened, but here's what I do know. I do know that Jesus left town and their life wasn't better because of it. Psalm 118. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. 
It is better to trust in the Lord than it is to put confidence in princes. I don't know about you, but I'm putting my faith and full assurance in Jesus and him alone. He is my leader. He is my confidence. He is my protector. He is my king. He is my all in all. I will not go against him and I will not ask him to depart from me. Amen. 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 Would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads? Hallelujah. Hey, if you're not a Christian this morning, we want to invite you to become one. It's really quite, quite easy. Either you are a Christian or you are not. Either you've given your life to Jesus or you haven't. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never stood up and said, I want to be a Christian, I want to be forgiven of my sins, I want to be set free, today is your day. Today is your day. And it's really quite simple. We just ask people to raise their hand and say, I want to be a Christian. We want to pray with you. We invite you to come forward and be prayed for. Why? Because it's there's something that happens, man. I've seen lives change by walking down an aisle and saying, I want to live for Jesus. If you've never made that declaration before, you've never said, I want to be a Christian, you'd like to declare that for the first time today, would you raise your hand, please, and say, that's me, I want to be a Christian? Is there anybody that needs to do that? Thank you, Lord. Now, maybe you've been far from God. You'd say, you know what, Pastor, I, I, I knew the truth. I just walked away from it. And you've been waiting for that moment to come back to Jesus. Never, or excuse me, not if you've never, but if you've been far from Jesus and you're ready to come back to him, ready to rededicate your life. And I'm, and I'm not saying like, hey, I had a bad day. But you've been far, you've been gone, and this is the moment, this is the day. You're like, I'm living that Jesus life. I'm leaving sin behind. I'm moving forward with Jesus. I want to be one of his disciples. Would you raise your hand this morning? We'd like to pray with you. Hallelujah. like to end the the service with praying on the sermon. Maybe there's a pig in your life that needs to die. You're believing the narrative. Maybe you've got used to some demons in your life. Father, we pray that you remove demons from our lives in Jesus' name. God, right now, Father, remove those things we cannot see. Fresh, Fresh water, fresh wind, the power of the name of Jesus. And God, we pray that, uh, God, let's not love our stuff. Let's not love our money, God. Whatever it takes to bring people into the kingdom, Lord, we offer it at your feet, Lord. Use it as you, as you will, for whatever ways that you deem necessary, Father, because we know it's for your glory. And God, we pray that we would not believe the ways of this world, but we would believe your ways and your ways alone. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we want to thank you so much for being online with us today. I want to remind you, if you're not a follower on Facebook, please like our page on YouTube. Please subscribe. Follow us on Twitter. Tell all your friends. Continue to watch online. We thank you for watching. We love you so much. Have a great day.